Welcome to the Stay Ready Real Estate Podcast, where we stay ready so you don't have to get ready. My name is Emeka, and I'll be interviewing a variety of my professionals in the real estate industry to get you 1% closer to buy your next real estate investment. My goal with this podcast is to show the world that people like you and me can buy real estate to build wealth. Today, we have Christina. Christina has been a realtor in Florida since 2010 and is now the broker slash owner of the home agency. Her experience in the real estate industry started when she was 20 years old as a loan officer in the subprime mortgage industry. Apart from the servicing side of real estate, she has been an active real estate investor since 2010. To date, she has flipped or held over $8 million of residential real estate holdings throughout Florida, Vermont, and Connecticut. Since 2020, she has been focused on growing her multifamily portfolio and is an LP in 731 units and a JV in 97 units. She has been fortunate to be advised by some of the best in the industry. She is married to not only her life partner of 20 years, but her business partner. They are avid travelers and Christina loves hosting a fun party. She lives every day but a model. Find it, live it. Let's listen to Christina. Well, Christina, can you tell the world a little bit about who who you are, what you do, and why real estate? Yeah, so I'm Christina Kovach. I was born and raised in Vermont, but I now live in uh, Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Been here since 2006. And I've been started real estate wise, started investing in real estate with our first live in flip, and that was in 2009. And at the time, we didn't know we were doing live in flip. We actually thought we were just renovating it for our primary home that we're going to live in for a long time. And But as soon as we started renovating, we fell in love with that process. And we also saw how the market was changing and that there was an opportunity to sell and not to pay capital gains tax on that primary home. So we decided to sell and repeat it. And so we did that twice. And the third time we thought we're going to do another live and flip is actually the current home I'm in. And that was in 2013. And we fell in love with this house. And so we have, we didn't live and flip anymore, which led us to actually try and flip ourselves, work as an investment property and not disrupt our lives constantly like we were doing with live-in flips before. <laughs> with the flipping, it was it was great, but also we quickly realized that we weren't going to be able to scale. So we did the flips on our own and some properties here in South Florida, mm-hmm. all the way up to Jensen Beach and Port St. Lucie. And then we started getting into wanting to hold these properties because after flipping so many properties, we also looked back in the past and could see these properties had accumulated a lot of equity throughout the years. Since you look at what you sold five years ago and what it's worth now, and like, Shit. but at the same time, that that transactional flipping money helped us get to where we are today. Because we, with that first live and flip, for instance, we saved fifty five thousand dollars, and that was everything we had to get into that property. But each time was a building block to keep getting better and better. And so we needed those transactional opportunities to happen. So once we decided we were able to start just investing in long-term rentals, we also started doing short-term rentals. And so we had that cash flow from those rentals coming in. But even then, the scalability we realized wasn't going to mean anything. So that's when we get into the family. Did it ever bother you living in there and then having all the construction everywhere? Yep. So we we tried to plan our move accordingly, but didn't always work out that way. There were times we had to live in Airbnbs and hotels part time because things were not, our Airbnb reservation was ending, but the house still wasn't livable enough. You know, so then we'd have to get into a hotel and we had a dog. You know, so 
you get a dog friendly hotel for a little bit. So it was a very, we just had to be able to pivot and move and be flexible. And that was all part of it. And then when we actually came into the, pro- the first property, for instance, that was, we lived in that completely because we were so cash poor with that one. <laughs> but the other ones, we were able to do the Airbnbs and hotels. But even still, it wasn't fully, fully done. So we were living in the construction zone. But it is what it is. It, you, it's mind over matter. Get over it. Get it done. You know, it's just if you're worrying about things and it's just making life more stressful. There's nothing you can do about it. Were you doing this full time or did you also have other uh, occupations? Yeah. So my husband and I, we moved here from, uh, we were in California for a couple of years and we bought into a franchise together. It's called the Revelco Anti-Thin Device that secures vehicles from being stolen. So we bought into that in 2006. So we had that business together. That business was doing good, but it wasn't as good as we thought it was going to do initially. So I started doing marketing promotions as a brand manager, and he opened up a business called Miney Wired and doing TV installs, sound installations. And then from there, when we did our first live-in flip is when I got my the first taste of real estate and realized I wanted to also become a real estate agent. So then I got out of the marketing and I was full into real estate at that point and renting homes in addition to our investment. So gave me the flexibility to get more in, in line and into our investments too. That first off, that's amazing. It sounds like you were wearing multiple hats at the time. I've, I've talked to multiple people and a lot of them say that they don't have time. You know, no matter what age you are, they always have something to do. And since I've been getting older, I feel like I'm always busy and I always have something to do, but somehow I'm able to still find time to, you know, get to real estate. So what would you say to those people who say they don't have time? And what did you do personally to manage your time to be able to have all these hats? I think if you don't have time, then you should look into things that are just passive. If you're not passionate about real estate enough to make the time, we all have choices. I'm sure, I'm sure at some point, those people that say they don't have time still watch Netflix, still do other things <laughs> that are actually progressing them in life. So if you don't want to make the time, then that's fine. Then you can also, you can try and invest passively and learn about that. But a lot of people don't have the time out to learn about these different investments, nor were we really taught this to look, to try and seek alternative investments, you know? So it's one of those things that unless you're self-educating and you're constantly trying to improve yourself through podcasts or books, whatever it may be, then it's, it is hard to find the time, you know? If you're not I got you. Or, you know? So for, for me, it really was some more natural thing I when we my husband and I met to one of the part of our story is we met at a of a mortgage company where we both were w-2 employees and we both quit at the same time and we never went back to corporate again and that's when I was 21 and he was 23 so we're within us we are self-starters and we want to keep going with growing. And at the end of the day, how bad do you want it? It seems like y'all learned at an early age that the corporate life and the W-2 life wasn't for you. So you found the way. Either you made it or, or you sank and you drowned. You're doing living flips and it sounds like, you know, you're doing the podcast, reading books. Was that the only way you were educating yourselves about real estate or were you just learning as it went? What? Um, that was the main way initially was those some two ways. Um, and then... Eventually, when I wanted to get into multifamily, I quickly realized that there was no way I could just learn on that. I could learn on my own, yes, but 
I couldn't network. And that was something that I, I had, couldn't get just from books or podcasts so, or my, the Facebook groups as much. So in-person networking was the key to that. And because multifamily, I realized, was a team sport. And I didn't have experience in multifamily. So it was going to be really hard for a lender to give me an opportunity and lend to me because I didn't have any experience in the space. They didn't care how many flips I had, how many long-term rentals, short-term rentals. It was not multifamily investing. So that's when I quickly realized I had to get into some sort of mentorship group and surround myself with people that were doing what I wanted to do so I can learn from them. That's when I joined Jake and Gino. And then eventually I joined MIH. And then since then, I've joined multiple other things. powerhouse women, different cohorts to learn about LP investing, like you name it. I am involved if I find a need that I need to, a gap in my education or a networking gap, I fill it. I love it. I love it. And what's your goal with everything? So it seems like you've been, you've been a gung-ho real estate, live and flip, short-term rentals, got into multifamily. Why? Why do you need to be in this real estate space? And why do you keep going that you're so looking to buy? Yeah. So at this point, it really is about having that. Not, not just the financial freedom, but the freedom of time, freedom of choices to do what we want. Yep. My husband still is fully active in his business. So eventually we want to get him not active in that. Yes, he has some contractors working for him, but it still re involves and revolves around him. So if we can get him out of that and just be in real estate and well, I always want to be active. I don't see myself ever not being active. I still want to work, but real estate gives us the freedom to plan our schedule. Like we want to go to Europe for five, six months. That's perfectly fine. I just recently got my Hungarian passport. So, and my husband has his passport. So we're dual citizens and we want to be able to have that freedom just to get up and go if we want for five, six months and be able to work remotely and not have to physically be in a location. So real estate gives you opportunities that other avenues don't. And off the top of your head, do you know your portfolio? A portfolio? Yeah, we have the single families are in South Florida, long-term rentals, short-term rentals. But then my joint ventures where I'm a GP in those deals, a 43 unit in Springfield and a 54 in Kansas City. And then I'm part of some LP deals as well that spread across 731 units across Colorado, Kentucky, and North Carolina. And so all of them have been vastly different experiences. And so this has been, since I've started investing in 2020. Two, I started learning in 21, 22, started actually actively investing. And it's been a huge learning curve and process. So that's the thing. A lot of all of this is still, it, there's still so much further to go. And it's only going to keep getting better because I'm learning from the different things that I maybe made a mistake on before. I now can look at LP deals in a completely different way than I did initially before. I just look at the IRR looks good. Okay, cool. And the equity multiple. Yep, sounds good. Team looks good. You know, but now when I look in an LP deal, I am dissecting that thing. There's been, I mean, LP deals that one, I'm a class A and so I'm getting those quarterly returns. But another one, I mean, occasionally a quarter, I'll get $75, you know. It, so maybe that will play out better. But for the past year and a half, it hasn't really given me the returns that I've been looking for that I was expecting. And so if I had known some things better than... I probably wouldn't have gotten into that deal, but there were, I just really as assumed on the operator's experience and because they're, they're part of bigger pockets too. So that's like a huge name. So I just felt so reliable with them and everything's going well, but they even can, they've been in the industry for decades and they still can't 
pictured what happened with the market. So the biggest problem with that LP deal is where I'm only getting minimal money right now is that they bought a rate cap, but they didn't buy a high enough rate cap. So that has now made the deal really difficult to cash flow. And so they're looking to refinance, but of course right now it's a hard time to do that. So these people are putting between a rock and a hard spot. So it's not, there's no capital calls yet. Nothing looks like it's going to go into foreclosure, but it's definitely tight, you know? Um, so but <laughs> it's just things that you don't, you learn along the way. But otherwise, sometimes you just got to get in it uh, to learn. No, I hear you. It sounds like, you know, at the end of the day, you can't predict everything. And I think that's also where a lot of people don't get into real estate. So with your LP, Dell, you know, there's some rocky things that may or may not be happening. But you're still in it, and it seems like you're so very bullish on real estate. So what has been some of the risky, the riskiest things that you've dealt with so the audience can kind of hear just how risky real estate is? Well, as far as multifamily goes, the riskiest thing is getting in a deal with partners that maybe you don't know as well as you think you do. So I think that that's something that a lot of people uh, kind of overlook a little bit and just say, oh, yeah, nice guy, nice girl, you know, but they don't build a relationship properly ahead of time. And so then when you get into these deals and these teams, you're in it for a long time. So sometimes you're only in it for three to seven years, but other times you want to keep this property um, for generational wealth purposes, you know? So that then I think that's the most risky because some team members can make or break the deal and make it just not enjoyable too, which is part of the process, you know, like, where this is not just work, it's also our livelihood in us. And they really do enjoy real estate. So I think that's one of the biggest risks is partnering with the right people or possibly not, you know? It's one of those things that communication-wise, you could have one person this way, another person this way. And for me, for instance, I when I identify a problem, I I want to fix that problem and I'm gonna we're going to we're going to be as transparent as possible in how to to fix this and make it work. And so other people can be a little bit more passive and it's just not, that's not. So the way that things can work, that's a situation that I've experienced where if you don't nip, nip things in the bud right away, then it just becomes a bigger problem. So finding who you work with and mesh with the most and that I'm, and now that's because of situations that have happened, I have found core team members that I will grow with and we will continue to do business together, you know, and others we won't. So it's just one of those situations that you won't the same. You don't know until you do. And so you got to give it a try, but it is a risk. So everything has risks in life, but you have to take them in order to know if it, anything's going to work or not, you know, just like the bliss. Mm -hmm. You don't know if the market could turn. You don't know if the house could burn down, you know, and then you don't have enough insurance coverage. It, it, you have to take the risk calculated risk in order to make the return. The thing with the risk, I bought a house, multiple houses sight unseen during my flipping process. Humongous <laughs> risk, but you have to underwrite for the worst case scenario and still have a little bit of hope in there, you know? And so when you walk through that door, it's always those, here we go, you know, but it, <laughs> that's kind of exhilarating in itself too. So. No, I love I actually love that you mentioned that because, you know, sometimes you really just don't know what you're getting into. So what these flips say you're doing, can you explain a little bit more detail what exactly what you're looking for? So we're looking for a specific zip codes, beds, baths, how many that you can add? 
how were you underwriting and doing these deals? So always looking for value add opportunities, definitely specific zip codes matter. You want to go where people want to move to, but say if I saw a house that was 1800 square feet, but only had two bedrooms, but I saw an opportunity to make that third bedroom or I saw an opportunity to add that second bathroom, that is tremendous value add. So of course you can do all the cosmetic upgrades, but whenever you can add a bathroom or a bedroom, you're really adding a lot of value. So those are always the main thing for me. And then just also here in Florida, especially people for wind mitigation purposes, it's always really nice to put those hurricane windows and add a new roof. The things that are going to make their insurance costs premium go down also make them know they're coming into a nice solid investment. So yeah, the beds and baths are the biggest things. So it's pretty. It's beautiful. Beautiful. You were underwriting. So how are you trying to, how are you estimating what the insurance would be? How are you estimating what the taxes would be? How are you estimating the cost that it would be to sell the bowl? Yeah. So with insurance, most of the quotes, just reaching out. And you have a lot of brokers that know that you work with them on different deals. And so I always had two or three different people and always get quotes, or more than that sometimes if they come in where I wanted. In taxes in Florida, I always, this is a high estimate always, but I always do 2% of the sale price. And it usually comes in more around 1.5-ish, um, but I do 2% just for the buffer for underwriting. And that's what, upon purchase, it's going to be taxes for the next year because Florida ta does tax assessments in arrears. So it's always, some realtors don't explain that situation to buyers, and it's always such a horrible feeling when they get their tax bill that next year and they realize it jumped. Because the previous person that lived there could have been there for 40 years, and they they're, they had homestead, so they only went up 3% every year, you know, maybe had a $3,000 tax bill. Then they go come in and their tax bill's 18000 because they bought the purchase price. So it's just the way it goes in Florida, so you have to definitely account for that. And then for comping, it's typical. I mean, you're using comps in residential real estate that are nearby. And so you're identifying ones that are going to look most like what your finished product is going to look like. And even so, with them, depending on how long your project's going to take, that's going to change as well. So that's, I mean, that's what also right now, I haven't been the most comfortable flipping because there's been, I don't feel as confident in the sale price that I want to achieve. And there's, the purchase price is still so high right now. So there's not much of a profit margin. So I haven't been flipping recently at all, but and that's what I would do in the past. Oh, I got you. Some people will say that the real estate market is just bad right now. There's going to be a recession. You know, all houses are going to fall 50%. So you're, you're being hesitant right now with the, with the buy, but when, you know, flipping specifically, but you're not hesitant in buying. Why do you think right now there's a disconnect between sellers and buyers? I mean, sellers still have that idea that things are worth as much as they were in 21 and early 22. So it's just hard to let go of something that you had in your head of what it was, you know, and versus what reality is. Reality is a hard pill to swallow for a lot of people, no matter what topic it is. So having an idea that you had this much equity, all this, this money that was just not actual money, it's not real until it's in your hands. So, and something is only worth what a buyer's willing to pay, period. It's, there's comps out there, yes, but if your house has a certain thing on a certain road, if someone's not interested, well, guess what? You're going to get significantly less than the person a few streets away. 
there's just that's just the way it goes. So buyers, if obviously the interest rates are higher, so they can only afford so much, you know. So it's keep, keeping people renting longer, and that's also a reason why I like multifamily real estate, and that's why I'm heavy on buying multifamily because we are in a renter's nation, unfortunately, for some people that won't be able to buy, but it is an opportunity for multifamily investors. Yep, I love how to say opportunity. I did not prep you for this. But where do you think the real estate market is headed to at the end of the year, at the beginning of 2025? Okay. So for multifamily, there's the, there's a disconnect with sellers and buyers there as well. So the biggest opportunity is going to be with with loans that are coming due, bridge loans that people are trying to re, can't refinance out of, so they're trying to sell. Or just operational. A lot of people got into multifamily that were not good at operations. And multifamily money is made through operations, through asset management, and you've got to be on the pulse all the time. And so many people thought it was more passive and that is such bullshit. Like it could not be further from the truth, you know? And so the people that are in these loan situations are in situations where they are more passive rather than active, where the property is not cash flowing properly, they have to sell. So that's the opportunity for those. So they're going to, prices are going to come down for those a little bit, but it's, and so it's, it's still a healthy market, you know? And then in residential, things are still going strong. As much as people say it slowed down so much, it ha- yes, a little bit, but people are with the right, with the right deal, sellers can move a little bit, buyers are still coming. So, and there's, there's foreign money, like we were talking about before, you know, there's, there's different reasons why people come in, but they want to take their, Get, take their funds from their country and put it into a st- solid economic environment like the U.S. and the real estate market, that's better than possibly in a market where they are. So there's different reasons why, especially in Florida. Florida is always, the grant is still growing rapidly. Yeah, I know you have a very, very killer and a rocking deal. You're short-term, your Airbnb out in South Florida. Can you explain how you found the deal why you decided to make it an Airbnb versus flipping or doing a long-term rental and the success of it. How are you able to keep it, you know, keep it successful, keep people coming, especially when people are kind of scared of Airbnbs right now? Yeah, so that short-term rental, it came about because I had a short-term rental in that same neighborhood from 2016 to 2020. And I sold that past short-term rental in August of 2020. And it was one of those things that I was kind of burnt out because I had three short-term rentals at one time in three different states. And then with the pandemic hitting and losing the renters, I just was kind of just feeling like I wanted to get out of it. And that's also when I was looking to learn more about multifamily and grow. So the cash out of that propelled me into um, multifamily as well. Well, then I remissed the area so much because part of these short-term rentals is you're not just doing it for the cash flow. You're also doing it so you can enjoy it. It's your second home. The loans that you get on these properties are second homes for that reason, because the owners go there and enjoy it while they also rent it out and cash flow from it. So when we've, I always had a search going for properties nearby my last short-term rental. And when this one popped up, it is just one of those that makes you stop in your tracks. And that's exactly what Airbnb and short-term rentals need. Like you need something unique that stands out that's going to make people go, oh my gosh, I just, I want to stay there. I have to, I want to see what's inside. I want to experience that insane pool that looks like the shape of Florida, you know, in the backyard, like 
there's just so many unique items. And with so many people getting into the short-term rental space throughout the pandemic, mid-2020 until now, so many people, just like the multifamily, got into it thinking it was more passive or just thought they could get a 3-2 and furnish it and then grunties start coming in. Well, there end up being like an abundance of this. And so supply and demand, it just doesn't work out. So if you have an average house, you're not going to be able to charge those premium rates when every other house near you is doing the same exact thing. So I knew that if we were going to get into this again, it had to be a super unique property. And that's exactly what happened. So my last property I owned is still on the market as short-term rental. And quickly I could see me, their bookings go down, which I don't want, you know, but at the same time, it's the market and I'm coming in with a new product, but I'm taking a lot of market share. The guests are coming to my property because it's so unique. And so initially starting out, you've got to build up those reviews. So sure, you can have some lower rates to get people in just to get those reviews coming in and get propped up higher on this algorithm and use on a site. But it has been nothing short of amazing. And I I was a little nervous about it because it was a pretty decent purchase. It was almost 800000 plus we put some renovations into it. It's done successful so far, last year, we netted $55,000 after all costs completely. And so also with the, the short-term rental, it's a very active thing. So that my management of that property and also my management of my long-terms and my management of the multifamily asset management I do, it qualifies me for reps, the real estate professional status. And so all of my passive losses, I'm able to completely wipe, wipe out our and have access extra losses carry on to next year because that those cost segregation studies that uh, we do with a 100% bonus appreciation. I also, not only do we use those on multifamily, but I also use them on the short-term rental. So I was able to do a full cost seg study on that short-term rental. So there was a multitude of things and benefits that this short-term rental has given us. I I can't go on about it. I love it. Just for the eyes, we are not tax professionals or lawyers, so this is just no. education. But, but can you explain to the eyes a little bit about what a cost segregation study is? Yeah, I'll try my best. I mean, mm-hmm. depreciation on a, say, a residential property is usually over 27 and a half years. With this, you accelerate it all into that year one. And with the costs, they, they go through every line item. So... The, the roof, your driveway, the structures on the, everything in the house, the HVAC, everything gets depreciated fully in that. The, the value of that goes into full one year um, to come off rather than 27 and a half years. And so also the short-term rental, not only do those physical components of the house get depreciated, but the furniture. So all that new furniture I bought, I was able to put in that depreciation schedule as well. So... It, it's a really nice bang for your buck, say. Like, it's worth, I paid, I think, like $1,100 for the study. And I can't remember how much, but I think it was around 80000 or 7000 Though I was able to put in to our tax return as depreciation. But overall, with all the multifamily, all the, the single family cost segs I did, we had about $228,000 in passive losses. And most of that I was able to use to offset our active income. So there's just so many benefits uh, to multifamily then and real estate in general. Then hmm. just that, there's 
I, I gotcha. And have you seen any other investment class to give you as much, as much benefits as real estate? Not with having collateral to back it up. And that's, it's, you know, so not, not that I, and I feel most secure with real estate because it's a tangible asset. I can believe in a company and invest in its stock or have a, I mean, anything I did in crypto, I just considered a loss and it was just sitting there and maybe <laughs> one day something will become of it, but. I don't know anything much about it. So it's thing like investing in something that you are not fully educated on is also a bad idea. And that's why I do do the education on real estate because I, I want to know everything, the ins and outs. So I'm, I am a smart investor and I'm not making mistakes, but in stocks, crypto, I mean, there's only so much how far I can push my this hits it. that. So I just get to pick one thing sometimes, you know? No, that's, that's a smart thing to do in my opinion. So if you were to look back at yourself in, I believe you said 2009, when you did your first live and flip, how would you get into real estate if you had the knowledge you had now? Would you still do the live and flip or would you go straight to multifamily or find a short-term rental? Oh man, if I knew what I, now, then I would 100% get into multifamily right away and start networking with people. I, I had no idea. It's it's frustrating how long it took me to realize that, but having your network is your net worth is completely true. And I never, because we were so self-employed since we we're 20 and 21, that I really wasn't networking too much. Everything was kind of, we just get things done on our own, you know? But once I started reaching out and networking, it expanded everything for us. So nothing is, everything's possible. Nothing's impossible. I mean, when you put in the work and you have the right people around you. So we're going to move into our next segment of the show where I ask everyone the same three questions. Number one, what are the two books you recommend an aspiring investor to read? So the first one that got me interested in multifamily was Brian Murray's Crushing It in Apartments and Commercial Real Estate. It's Good. one of those books that's not just about analytics, but it's about his personal story. And he did multifamily, he did office, you name it. But it's a really good journey. And he tells the good and the bad, which I appreciate too. So it's not all rosy. So, and since then, he's now partnered with Brandon Turner on Open Door Capital. And they have thousands and thousands of meetings together. And just a, a really incredible, humble man that I've never met, but it'd be cool to meet him sometime. But that was a great book. Then the other one, Principles by Ray Dalio. Just so many golden nuggets that I relate to in that book. Goal setting and was like I mentioned earlier, was there's a problem, identify it. Okay, let's talk about it, everyone. Communication, like it's just a no bullshit book about getting through to the problem, solving it and executing on that for the future plan of what it's going to be. But he does this in a much more elegant way than I'm saying, right? Amazing book by Ray Dalio. What the, what's the most impactful speech or lesson that helped you in life or in your career? Okay. So recently in the past couple of years, it, the change with the networking and everything was getting uncomfortable. So Layla Hormozy, she doesn't get as much credit as her husband does, Alex. But her thing is that by far the most dangerous drug is comfort. And it's so true. The more comfortable you are, you're just going to be just sitting poochy and not doing much more, you know? But if you're getting uncomfortable, it really, you can push those minerals and find out what's on the other side. 
time. And if you could have dinner with anyone, dead or alive, who would it be in Wong? Okay. This was a hard one because for my instinct is to say my Nana and Papa, like I just want to see them and hug them. And that's like the thing. But then there's so many other people that just be so cool. But it would be them first. And as I you know, you said only one person, but the other people that come into my mind are Anthony Bourdain, because I think he had is in just had incredible philosophical ways of teaching us through other people's cultures and just a beautiful soul. And he'd be freaking fun to have dinner with. <laughs> and then back to like from being young, Oprah was a huge influence on me. Like I, she was in my ear all the time. And the Queen Madonna. <laughs> Sounds good. And how can I just reach you if they want to ask you questions or reach out for advice? Yeah, for my email, my website's personalmakeclubbatch.com, but you can, with my name, Facebook and Instagram, LinkedIn. Yeah, just reach out. We can schedule a calendar call and I'd love to meet new people. So. Sounds good. I got to put your Airbnb link so people can really see how exciting it is to be at your place. Well, Christina, thank you so much for joining the show, and I hope to have you again soon. That was Christina, everybody. At the beginning of the podcast, I told you I'd give you three actionable steps that would help you get 1% closer to getting your next property. Before then, please like, subscribe, rate, comment, whatever if you enjoyed this podcast. It made the world to me, and your, your comments, your feedback will help me make this podcast better. Action step one. Christina lives in Florida, so insurance is a big thing, but reach out to your local insurance agents and get quotes. Determine what they'll cover and how much it will cost per month or what the premium will be annually and determine how much you're going to have to pay for a certain kind of property on a yearly basis or monthly basis to see if it's going to work for your numbers and for your deal. Number two, Christina has multiple different properties. She's done flips, long-term rentals, Airbnbs, multifamily investing. But she also said that she just made, you know, $50,000 net a year with her Airbnb. Look at the Airbnbs around you. See what they're charging per day or per month if you want to stay there for a long period of time. And what you're going to do with this is to see maybe that's something you want to get into. You do have to understand that it's very, very active. And to be at the top of the market, to gain most of the market share, you have to stay on top of everything. Comments, upkeep, cleaners, everything. So she might have did $50,000 a year, but she's putting in the hard work. So look at the bees around you, determine what they're charging per day, per day, see what your current house would get if you were to make that an Airbnb and see if that might be the right fit for you. And lastly, pick one thing. I asked Christina at the end if she could go back to her younger self and start all over, what would she do? She said she would start multifamily. I'm not saying that you can't do multiple things, but I am saying if you are getting started, don't get the shiny object syndrome because trying to focus on multiple different things at one time is going to only slow you down. Pick one thing. If you like Airbnbs, stick with it, study it, educate yourself in it on a daily basis, and then you shouldn't be worried about the things that are going to happen because you're already prepared for the worst case scenario because if your education was right, you were prepared for it. That's all, everybody. I hope to see you next Wednesday.